Hello and good morning. My name is Charya Agarwal, your host for this podcast which is about celebrating women and their contributions to the field of international development. With the International Women's Day around the corner, we are here in Dr. Sandra Sequeira's office to talk about her work, goals, challenges and everything else. Hello Sandra, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time for this conversation and for us and taking time off your busy schedule. So I want to begin by asking you to share a snapshot of your career, your journey so far. What would you say were some of the successes, some of the roadblocks and some of the challenges or some moments of absolute inspiration? Well, I would probably say that my biggest success so far is that I feel that being 10 years out of graduate school that i feel as curious and as motivated to pursue interesting questions in economics as i did 10 years ago when i left and so i think that's probably my goal for the next 10 years is to keep this level of motivation and enthusiasm for the field what would you say have been some of the roadblocks in these 10 years Well there are many many roadblocks that you face in any research career particularly when you're trying to do research in very complex environments in the developing world um I have had many roadblocks projects that uh, were not implemented correctly uh, that did not work uh, results that did not have the impact that I would have hoped they would have in terms of changing policy when I look back at all these roadblocks I feel that um again while there have been many of them that they have also allowed me to grow as a researcher and as a scholar. Um I look back and I think that experience, the experience that I have gained from this is now critical to help me select better projects, mm-hmm. to help me persevere and manage relations with partners in the field, in my case mostly governments, and to think more critically about how to disseminate findings of my research. So in the end I look at them as opportunities for growth. Wow, you already answered what would have been my next question as to how do you deal with these roadblocks and challenges. So I would ask you when you thinking about such roadblocks or opportunities was there something like a defining moment where you thought oh this is where I know this is what I should be doing in the future. This should be my career path. Was this was there like an aha moment for you? Well, I think the moment in which you realize that you have just identified a connection between issues that no one has thought about before and that this can somehow assist us in understanding how the wor- world works and how you can make it world the world work better, then I think that's absolute bliss and Fortunately throughout my career I think I've had many of those opportunities of identifying moments in which you know the research can academically be well received from a scientific point of view but at the same time when you feed those findings back to partners in the field and you can experience firsthand how evidence can change uh, government policy hopefully for the better and so fortunately i feel that i've had some of those moments uh, throughout my career so far and i hope to have many more in the future and it's this combination of the challenging intellectual pursuit with having an impact in improving people's lives that again i think it's the main motivation in my work could you share a project that you thought that you thought was really important that has helped you create that impact so i 
started my career by doing research on corruption in sub-Saharan Africa. And after I was able to document bribery patterns, in my particular case, I was looking at ports and border posts. The government was then able to use that information to design better anti-corruption policies. And so that's that was a good example for me of how to generate evidence that was interesting and important from a scholarly point of view, but that could also make a material change in people's lives. Um, currently, I'm working with the Ministry of Health in Mozambique to try to identify strategies to improve access to healthcare for millions of patients in the country um, who rely primarily on these primary healthcare networks. And I'm working with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees to try to identify strategies to better integrate refugees into local host communities in the developing world. So these are examples of two other projects that I'm currently engaged in, where I feel that there's a combination of a challenging conceptual question that interests us as social scientists, but also that can produce results that hopefully can um, make the world a better place. Sure, these sounds like excellent projects that a lot of academics and students would be interested in reading about. Could you tell us where, if someone wants to read about this, where they could access these reports or papers, if there are working papers available? So some of the research, the past research, would be on my website and in the LSE library. Uh, these current projects on health and refugee integration, uh, I've just started them in the last couple of years, so we don't have a lot of outputs yet. But you will have them soon, so stay tuned. But since we're talking about your research, if you had to pick three words that define your research interest, what would these three words be? Well, I'll go beyond the words, but I'll say the drivers of state effectiveness, uh, the economic consequences of immigration, both voluntary and forced displacement, and then for something completely different, how do consumers make decisions about how do consumers make everyday consumption decisions? So we've already spoken about some of the projects and the ideas that define or the words that you say that define your work. Could you speak a little bit more about the research projects? Okay, so in one project that I am just launching with the Ministry of Health in Mozambique, we are trying to identify low-cost interventions to how clinics manage patient flows to improve the quality of health services provided, and in particular to improve adherence to HIV treatment. Um, these days, you do not have to die from HIV. There is treatment available for it. Um, in Sub-Saharan Africa, while many patients have now been enrolled in treatment programs, a large chunk of them actually don't complete these treatments or have regular access to medication and to clinicians, which puts them in great danger of relapsing and of transmitting the disease, a disease that, again, is treatable today. Now, one of the main reasons for this poor adherence to treatment is that Badly managed clinics can make patients wait for several hours, a full day at times, miss a day's work just to get a medication refill or to be seen by a clinician. So what we're trying to do is to change what is a 40-year 
existing system of first come first serve that leads to a lot of queuing and bunching in certain days of the week and we're trying to allocate patients to different days of the week different times of the day to try to significantly reduce queuing so we hope that this intervention which is a really low cost low tech intervention that does not require that more financial resources are placed into the system can actually improve significantly uh, the quality of the care that is provided and therefore increase demand for it. So talking about the bigger picture, how do you see this particular project in Mozambique or the other two projects that you've spoken about uh, sort of inform or develop the sector-wide knowledge? So I think we don't have enough research on the functioning of health systems in the developing world, at least from an economics point of view. It's not something that has been researched in the past. So what we're trying to do is to generate this type of evidence that can make us think more critically about how to make better use of the existing resources in the system. This is the essence of economics, is to study the allocation, the most efficient allocation of resources, and to see if by doing so we can improve something as fundamental as uh, service delivery in health, which is a pillar of human development. Okay. So changing gears a little bit now, since we are looking at ID from a gender lens, could you talk a little bit about the challenges female academics face in the sector and what are the challenges that you've had to tackle as a female academic? Well, I think some of the challenges that female academics face have been well documented, namely more limited opportunities for mentoring. Um, in economics in particular, Scholars can sometimes be too critical and negative about each other's work. I think solutions have also been proposed. Uh, so, for instance, to persist in a more competitive academic research career, um, women who have um, child caring or other caring obligations in their lives do need a bit more flexibility in terms of their schedules to be able to um, remain competitive on the career track. It's also important to establish more networks and to open them up to female academics and to address issues of power structures, discrimination. Now, the discipline is trying to come up with codes of conduct to be enacted that can create challenging yet constructive environments where everyone is able to feel motivated to reach their full potential. Uh, do you think the ID department or the ID sector is particularly gendered? For example, uh, do you think this sector features more women as compared to, let's say, astrophysics or mecha mechanical engineering? Or are there domains of expertise where women-led research dominates? And why is that the case? I think that's definitely true in interna international development more broadly, but particularly in economics and in my field, there is a lot of sorting happening. So mm -hmm. you will find more women working on issues related to health and education than you will on trade, firms or finance. I think it would be important to try to understand why this is the case. Um, how much of it is driven by preferences, how much of it is driven by networks and role models, how much of it is driven by structural barriers that women may face in certain fields. So I think ideally, if we could start thinking about creating more role models in certain fields, encouraging graduate students to pursue research in areas that tend to be more male-dominated while providing them with adequate mentoring to do so, would be a good starting point. 
Okay, because the ne- the next question was to ask you how do you think you can fix this problem, but since you've already answered it, I want to ask you if you were to have a superpower, a superpower that you were capable of fixing any problem in the world, one problem, what would it be that you would like to fix or change specifically within let's say LSE ID or the wider wider ID sector? So for the wider ID sector, I would say just making it more evidence-based and make people more aware and more willing to accept and identify existing knowledge gaps to try to avoid this simplistic search for silver bullets in development, but also not moving to the other extreme of empowering naysayers. I think we do need disruptive research um, for positive innovation to happen. And now in international development, we need it more than ever. So the last question is, before we go and we leave you to your research, I want to ask you for a recommendation, a book, a paper, an academic or a practitioner whom you look up to and whose work you think students and the other academic world wants should read. So my mother, who is not an economist, and she visited me recently, uh, she got a hold of one of my copies of Good Economics for Hard Times by Abhijit Banerjee and Esther Duflo, the Nobel Prize winners of this year. And she thoroughly enjoyed it and was able to connect to the material. So I think it's a great introduction for anyone who is interested in understanding frontier research and development economics. And that's the book that I think I would recommend. Uh, Well, that brings us neatly to a close. And again, many thanks, Sandra, for taking out the time to to speak to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity.